Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are headed into 2 Nephi, Chapter 2, The Doctrine of the Two Ways. All right, so we are finishing up Lehi's last blessings before he passes away, and he gives his blessing to his uh, family. We have already covered Chapter 1, and we jumped over to Chapter 3, and I wanted to go backwards and go back to Chapter 2. And There's so much to cover there that it is worth taking a little bit of extra time. So let's jump into... Second Nephi 2. This is the blessing that Lehi gives to his son Jacob. And as we jump into it, I wanted to take one second and kind of uh, bounce out of it for a second. Look at the big picture. Now, we've already been talking about patriarchal blessings, uh, blessings and cursings. I know we get kind of comfortable with that word, but it's super common in the Old Testament. Um, so don't let that freak you out. But we see this commonality in the structure, which is just so enriching because you see this uh, culture coming through from this Old Testament family, Lehi and Nephi, and going through. And one of the things I want to go through is a doctrine of the two ways or a teaching that we see that's common in the Old Testament. And I'll, I'll link a, a great article in the show notes from Noel Reynolds, talks about this uh, doctrine. But once you see it, it's really helpful. So if we kind of take a step back and look at how Second Nephi is structured and how it's similar to some things in the Old Testament, it might be helpful to understand this doctrines that we're going to see about the doctrine of uh, the way of Christ. So this is the way for all you Mandalorian fans. All right, so first, in the ancient uh, texts we see from the the Bible, there's kind of this split um, two ways, so so a bifurcated way. And so there's, there's a way in which God commands, and he tells us what to do, and then we can follow him in righteous, or there's a second way, which is the way that the devil leads people into wickedness. So you see this all the way back um, in Abraham, right, where the Lord has a plan, and then this... Um, Someone says, nope, I got a different plan. Or we also see it even from the very beginning in Genesis. So in Genesis, there's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you see these, these two ways. Additionally, you also see right from the beginning um, that there is a uh, this idea of the road or the way. And I love the word in Hebrew. It's, it's a derrick. So if you know any derricks, you can tell them their name is the way in Hebrew. But derrick and and there's a, uh, in the Genesis account, right, there is the way to the tree of life. So in uh, Genesis 3, there's the way to the tree of life, and then there's perhaps a way that would be separate. And we hear about the phrase um, when we read Cain is a, a different description of the way uh, where it's going to 
It says, if you don't listen, uh, sin crouches at the door is what um, Cain is told when the Lord tells him. It crouches at the door. So there's this, the way to the tree of life and righteousness, and there's the wicked way. So there are these two ways. And, and then there will be kind of, as you go through the structure, you'll notice that they will have in the good way, things that would, steps that you would follow, perhaps. So it'd be like you participate in the covenant and, and you're blessed and then you live righteously and then you will receive eternal life and then the blessings that come. And in the way of wickedness, you will forsake, you will sin, you will be cut off, etc. So there'll be kind of these parallel paths and kind of what happens. Uh, I think one of the reasons they show those is it, it might be an oversimplification, it might not, right? But as you start saying, hey, my life might not be going exactly as I'd hoped, or um, I'm wondering why I'm not receiving some blessings, or I'm wondering how I can avoid some pain. Oh, I might be on the wrong path. But there's really saying there are only two paths. So you'll see this. The reason I want to point out the structure is because not only will you see it in the, the way of the covenant and the kind of forsaking the covenant, but you'll also see the results. And then you'll see where it'll say there's the church of the Lamb of God and the church of uh, Babylon, right? So there are these big categories. And so if you don't see this split, then you might miss that you're in kind of, I'm on the other path. He's describing this other path, the good path or the bad path. And so I wanted to make sure that you saw those and you're going to see them right here. Um, let's keep going on that for a second and see what else we can see that I think is really fascinating. One of the steps that you're going to see uh, when you watch for this is that um, the idea of path or walking or straight is the way you'll see any of those metaphors. So I don't want you to get caught up in the idea that it has to be a literal path, but these are metaphors for understanding our way, the way of life, the way that we're going to participate. And so in Genesis 5, it talks about um, Enoch walking with God. It talks about Noah walking with God in Genesis uh, 6. And it says that um, all flesh had corrupted God's way. So it's this walking with God on the way, the path, the derrick. Um, so, so you'll see it. Additionally, one of the other steps that you'll see as part of this way is that there's going to be a covenant. And so we know with the Abrahamic covenant that we learn that that the Lord says, I will establish between me and thee and thy seed and thee and after thee, their generations, an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So the Lord is saying, I will be thy God to you and your family and all of the family that comes after. And they must keep my covenant is what they're told. The family has to keep the covenant. So, um, in fact, in Genesis 18, it says, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. They will keep the way. So a lot of times this covenant path, this way, you'll see the metaphor. Again, don't get caught up if you're like, well, it's a path or straight and narrow path. And yes, <laughs> they are metaphors. So you'll see them um, over and over again. Um, they don't necessarily have to be a literal walking path or something like that. Also in Abraham, you will see some of this um, doctrine of this two ways is that there's going to be blessings. So the Lord will accept thee as he will be thy God. And then he's going to tell thee that, that you're some blessings. So for Abraham, he says, I'll make a, a great nation. I will uh, bless thee. Your name will be great. And then you will bless others. 
etc. So you kind of see that there's a blessing confirm, but it's also linked to obedience. So it says, you know, as long as you are obeying me and staying in the way, as long as you obey my voice. So Abraham kind of signals with the potential sacrificing of Isaac when he obeys the Lord that he is showing that he is obedient, even to something that sounds uh, scary and crazy. He's like, I am going to be obedient. I'm going to listen to the Lord's voice. So the Lord tells him, because you have obeyed, you will be blessed. So there's the covenant path, also obedience to the path, and then blessings that are going to come as part of that. One other place that, that really struck me when I read this was Deuteronomy 29 and 30. So I w- read, read back um, through the book of Deut- just the last couple chapters of Deuteronomy here, and it was striking how similar this was to Lehi um, giving this blessing. Blessing. So we'll come back to the two paths in a second, but I wanted to show you how this is also in the covenant making at Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is an interesting book because th- the name of it is is the second law. So Deut is two, and Anami law, I suppose, and and so it's it's a book that seems like it was found a little bit later, and it's a it's a recapitulation. It's a re I'm sorry, not recapitulation. It's a summary. It's a it's a redo. Um, so it's a redo of what you find in a lot of the other books of Moses. So you see a lot of Exodus in here and some of the wanderings of uh, Numbers. And so Deuteronomy, that's why it's the second law, and they, they recap everything you've already read. Um, but it is an absolutely fascinating book. And one of the parts in chapter 29 and 30, it'll take you like three minutes to read, but go read them. You'll see that it's when Moses makes a covenant as they are, as the, with the people, as they're finally entering into the land of promise. So they're finally at the promised land. The Israelites have wandered around after the whole Exodus story. And Moses is making this final covenant with them. And he's explaining this, the way to them and the way that they're going to covenant. And watch the parallels here because they are exactly, to me, the same as what Lehi is doing. Lehi's family has left. Now they've wandered around. Now they are arriving into the promised land, and these are the covenants that Lehi or Moses are going to put them under before they enter into the promised land, and he's going to tell them about the covenant with the Lord. So if you want to say, well, Lehi is, in some places, he's he's almost quoting from this. This is like a structure, and so it's just mind-blowing. So chapter 29 of Deuteronomy starts right out, and it says, and these are the words of the covenant, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he had made with them and Horeb. So he made Horeb is Sinai, right? So those are the Ten Commandments and that th- that whole one. And then he's saying, and here is another covenant that the Lord made the made in Moab. And in Moab is before they cross over into the promised land. So he's saying, hey, before you receive it, this covenant, I'm, extra covenant, I'm going to put you under this new covenant with the Lord. And so he says he called everybody in and he reminds them. So here's the structure. He brings them and there's little introduction here and then Moses calls to the people and he reminds them of what the Lord has done and then he goes on to tell them that uh, in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 29 wherefore uh, I'm sorry keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do you stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains, your tribes, your elders, your officers, with all the men of Israel, with your little ones, your wives, and your, the stranger that's in your camp. 
that thou should enter into a covenant with the Lord thy God and into this oath which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee a day, today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God, as he has said unto thee, and he has sworn unto thy fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, jo and to Jacob. But with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and with him that is not here with us this day. Okay, did you catch that it was, we're coming into the promised land, the patriarch, in this case Moses, is going to put us under a new covenant that we will be prospered in the new land, and the Lord will be our God. One other thing that I think is really powerful about this Deuteronomy section that is so similar to Lehi is flip the page and go to chapter 30, and there, there's a lot here, but I'm just going to draw one more point, as in uh, 36, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and in the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. And so he talks about changing our heart. He says in, in verse 2, I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So he's telling us, change who we are inside. This isn't just obedience to the law, which is important. The righteousness on the path is important. But he's going to say, I am going to change our hearts. He also gives some interesting information that he's going to gather the nations and that we will be uh, gathered together and some other things that you might find really interesting that are really similar um, prosperity turning our heart um, and and walking this path so this is Deuteronomy so let's flip over second Nephi 2 and see if we can see any of these two paths all right so Lehi is giving the blessing and he's given the blessing in chapter one to the older sons so we've seen kind of the older sons and then we're going to go to Jacob now, Joseph's next. I know I skipped over that, but we're going backwards on timeline a little bit. So he says, And now, Jacob, I speak unto you, and thou were my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness. And behold, in thine childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thine gain. I love this just on face value this is beautiful he's saying this is my firstborn you were born when you were born but also that you know us the greatness of God he's received some revelation but also think back to the covenant making that we just read in Deuteronomy they are they talk about them wandering around out in the wilderness of their afflictions and all the trials that they have faced and it's almost like Lehi is describing this exact same pattern which they have the plates of brass this would have been you know, the story that they practiced the most, right, of Passover and, and these events of the Exodus. So these have been well-known patterns. So I think we see them here so strongly that he's like, I'm speaking to my firstborn, the tribulation in the wilderness, and you suffers afflictions and sorrow. And then he also throws it in, but because of your brothers. Um, but my firstborn in the wilderness, um, you will these aff afflictions will be for thine gain. We learned about that in 1 Nephi. Remember 1 Nephi 1? Nephi talks about how our afflictions aren't just going to be suffering, but they can be consecrated unto us, and the Lord can support us in our trials, and they can train us and make us better and stronger for what he has in store. And he gives us, Nephi tells us that in 1 Nephi, and here he's reiterating that theme as well, as well as we see this theme of covenant making. Awesome. Um, then in verse 3, we learn that, 
Jacob is somebody special, right? He, uh, Lehi says some really strong things here. I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy redeemer. For thou hast beheld that in the fullness of time he cometh forth to bring salvation to men. So Jacob has received some kind of confirmation that that the Redeemer is coming in the, their future, right? It's going to be in their future, our past, but the Lord is coming, the Redeemer, the Savior is coming. So he's either uh, from Nephi or received his own testimony. And so he has seen this, You, thou hast beheld that in the fullness of time he cometh. So Jacob knows this as well. And thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory, wherefore thou art blessed, even as they whom he shall minister in the flesh. So it's the same for him in the past. It's like he had been there to see Christ in this uh, vision or something that he had received. So really strong. We see now Jacob was certainly a, a prophet even as a young age. So, and then here's, we start to read about the way. And the way is prepared from the fall of man and salvation is free. And the way is prepared from the fall of man and salvation is free. So here's where we get this doctrine of the two ways. It starts to be laying out, right? The way is prepared from the fall of man. Salvation is free. You don't earn it. It's given to you, right? The Redeemer gives it to you. And, and he's going to reiterate that over and over and over over and over, right? I love the way Brad Wilcox talks about grace um, and salvation. And he's someone, uh, he has a student, I'm going to misquote this, but he has a student come in his um, office and they're worried about they're not doing enough and they're, they're not measuring up. And he says, on a piece of paper, write how much you think you have to do before kind of the um, the Redeemer kicks in, how before grace kicks in. And, and they kind of put on the paper kind of high no no 50 percent no I have to do a lot right so they okay well maybe somewhere you know here in the middle and he's like no zero you have to do zero you don't do anything and it's and it's reiterated here salvation is free now I know some of you are like Lord that doesn't make any sense then why wouldn't I be righteous and what about the law and what about the commandments and why wouldn't I do all those things and he's saying you don't earn salvation but you are on the covenant path and you'll receive blessings. And he's going to go through and explain why you keep the covenants and why you keep the commandments. But it's not so that you can save yourself. It's totally different reasons. So in Second Nephi, we're going to see some great uh, Christology, theology about Christ and salvation. And it's going to go through these two paths. And it continues on and it says that men know the difference between good and and evil. And that's why the law is given. So we have the law so that we know. And it but it reminds us that by the law no flesh is justified. Or by the law, men are cut off. Yea, by the temporal law they're cut off. So I so I think it's telling us, remember, and Paul goes uh, has to remind the early saints of the same thing. He says that the law is to tell us when we're sinning. And everybody knows, everyone's been instructed well enough. In fact, you can ask a little kid and they know, <laughs> they know, right? We know the difference between good and bad. So he's saying, but that is why it's given so that you know good and evil, but it doesn't justify us. So just obeying it doesn't make it right. We don't get our salvation that way. And it reminds us in verse six, this beautiful, beautiful verse. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin. 
to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and to none else can the ends of the law be answered. So here it is. Here is where redemption comes. It comes through the Holy Messiah. And how does he do it? Because he offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. To those who what? A broken heart and a contrite spirit. So those of us have changed our hearts. Doesn't that just echo Deuteronomy? It echoes Jeremiah, Deuteronomy. It echoes so many scriptures. We have to change our hearts. We have to change something inside of us, right? Our heart, might, mind, and strength. We have to change something inside. And then it goes on. It says how important it is to share this because no one can be in the presence of God without the Messiah, right? We can't survive it. But also it reminds us that, that the resurrection of the dead uh, th- that will come. So it's also so that we can be resurrected. It reminds us that the Lord is the first fruits, meaning he's the first one that is going to be um, resurrected. And then anyone who believes shall be saved. And because of this intercession for all, all men come unto God, Wherefore, they stand in the presence of him. We get resurrected, and then we will stand before the judgment seat. Uh, uh, We will stand before him to be judged of him according to truth and holiness, which is in him. Wherefore, the ends of the law which the Holy One hath given, unto the inflicting of the punishment which is affixed, which punishment that is affixed is in opposition to that of the happiness which is affixed to answer the ends of the atonement. Uh, Powerful stuff there, right? To try to unpack all of this, but I think in the end, the Lord is going to stand with us at the judgment bar and he is going to um, give us either the happiness or the punishments that are fixed to us. But if we're standing there with him, good news, good news. And then it reminds us that there has to be both. There has to be both wickedness and happiness. If there's happiness, there has to be wickedness and there has to be both sides. Now, I, one other aside from school, this week we've been studying some of this, and it's been very convoluted. I know I mentioned it, um, but how clear this is and how difficult it is as, as people are trying to put together how this all works in the garden and was evil created. And just to give you an idea, one of the discussions that, that we're having is if God is all good, he cannot create something evil. Um, and so where does evil come from? Because it certainly exists. And so some theories are like, it isn't something he created. It's the absence of good. So the analogy is like starvation is the absence of food. You starve to death, but it isn't a bad thing. It's the absence of things. And we go on for a week of that. So just so you know, it's really hard for us to get our arms around when we don't have clarity like this, where it just says, well, there has to be good and bad. And so everything had... Uh, verse 12, wherefore it must needs have been created for a thing of naught. Wherefore there would have been no purpose in the end of its creation. Wherefore this thing must needs destroy the wisdom of God and eternal purposes and also the power and the mercy and the justice of God. So there has to be an opposition in all things. So to have the happiness, there has to be the other side that they exist. Uh, like flip sides of the coin, it says, um, as one. So if you, So I think it's really important to understand that God created all of this but also so that there could be good and that we can be redeemed through the Savior all right um man there's just so much we're not gonna have enough time well that's a place to start but go ahead and try um to go through and see if you can see the two two ways 
the two paths. And also remember the great blessing that the Lord says that wherefore redemptions cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offer him himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law to those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And that is Second Nephi 2.